Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. So, so if you were here last week, and I want to look back briefly as we dive into today, but I made five observations about the early church. And when we talk about the early church, we're talking about those first followers of Jesus, okay? And we're talking about that there was no church model to follow. So it's not like you've got the AG and the Baptist and the Presbyterians and Methodists and they already had come up with these models of here is how you do uh, ministry. That, that didn't exist. These are followers of Jesus and this is on the fly learning as they go. And, and we looked at these like observations of the brand new believers in Jesus. Five things that really uh, stood out with their lives. One, they believed in the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty is kind of like a theological term. You'll hear that. But it really means that they believed that God was in full control. And that's a good place for us to get. Like, God, you really are in control of, of what's happening and what has happened this past week and what's going to happen next week. And, God, you're in control. Man, praise God, I'm glad I'm not. Two, we looked at how they had a deep knowledge of Scripture but these, these brothers, when they were praying, they were quoting Psalm 2. Uh, if you look at Peter's first sermon, he's quoting Joel chapter 2 of laying out the Messiah uh, and what he was going to be like and how the people were going to respond to him. They, they knew the word. There's no replacement for that. Hey, grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of God stands true forever and ever. Hey, get to know the word Get to know the Word of God because you really want to fall deeper in love with the God of the Word. No substitute. Three, their admiration and allegiance was to Jesus only. They, they were not like still leaning into being Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, the, the groups of that day. They're like, we're Jesus only, man. We're following Christ. Four, uh, they, uh, they had a generous spirit. I'm going to hit that. And then five, they were continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Those, those are things that should be active in our life. So even when you look at the, the back end of Acts chapter 4, the early church uh, was extremely, extremely generous. It's, it's an observation when you're studying and you go, man, they really were all bought in. They cared. They shared. They prayed. When you look at the movement that was going on, it says that everything they had, they had as common use for everybody, possessions and property and everything. And it says they were, of, listen, listen, listen. They were of one heart, one mind. They were united on one purpose. What was that? It was all about worshiping Jesus and proclaiming Jesus. I'm like, man, they had it going on. One heart, one mind. And, 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 and I want you to hear me on this. When the gospel gets a hold of your heart and the gospel gets a hold of your life and transforms you, that's what's going to happen with you. You will care for others. You will intercede and pray for others. Your possessions are no longer yours. Uh, your property, whatever you go, man, we're in this thing for the glory of God. We're not here. That dash that we get. It's not that long, right? It's like, man, my home is in heaven. I'm passing through. This is short preparation for a long journey. And, and, and man, the gospel gets hold of you. And you're like, man, I'm starting to live a generous life. And, 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 and when the gospel gets a hold to you, you're, you're, you loosen your grip on stuff. And you tighten your grip on honoring God. 
You loosen your grip on materialism and you tighten your grip on honoring God. And some of the most fun people to be around are the ones who have figured that out. The ones that are holding on loosely to stuff but have grabbed out and touched the hem of his garment and they're holding on for the ride. And I, I was thinking about this. Like, you know as well as I do when you're trying to hold on. Whether it's your money, whether it's your stuff, whether it's a toxic relationship. You ever been there? And, and, and if you just drop whatever is in your hand right now, don't pour your coffee out. But if, but if you're just sitting there and, and, and you just start to tighten up those fists like you're trying to grab a hold and you're just squeezing for 10 seconds. Do it, do it, come on. Just feel the tension in your body. Just feel the tension in your soul. Just feel how it tightens up your face even. And then all of a sudden you go, when you give and you share, you're able to smile better and you're able to breathe better. You see some people that are so tight and bound, it's because you're holding on to stuff. And when you loosen that grip and you let the Spirit of the Lord start to take over, oh, your perspective changes. And Jesus, when you start to look at his life and study him, he modeled love and he modeled giving and he modeled serving. It's like, that's what you did. And Jesus walked through life and with a Pharisee's grip, man, with religiosity and Sadducees and those groups, and they were so bitter and rude, Jesus was free. And he even said, hey, any of y'all just beat up, wore out, anybody harassing you with religion or anything else, people have been beating you up and condemning you. Maybe you were a hell raiser and a dope user, or maybe you struggle with same-sex attraction, whatever. Anybody beating you up? And Jesus says, hey, 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 come to me. Come to me, and I'll teach you the unforced rhythms of my grace, and I'll show you how to live, come to me. Man, that changed my world right there. And the truth is, man, when you start to fall in love with, with Jesus, it, I promise you, it, it leads to being a generous person. And there's a lot of people you meet, man, and you go, I don't, I don't think that person's generous, man. It's like I break out a hammer and just beat them, and I might get a couple of sparks, man. They, they don't want to give it up, and I'm like, I know they're bound up. You meet some people, you got to squeeze them a little bit, man, like a sponge, and you'll get a little bit. And you meet other people, and you're like, that brother right there or that sister right there is a flowing stream. They're a flowing stream. And don't you like hanging out with flowing streams? Don't you like hanging out with people, man, that are just, man, you see them, and they give, and they share, and they encourage. We meet a dude in Acts chapter 4 at the end. And they call him Barnabas. They call him Barnabas. And even the text says that his name Barnabas means son of encouragement or son of comfort. Barnabas to me is one of the coolest dudes that you meet in Scripture and especially in the book of Acts. Every time Barnabas appears, the brother's just adding value. He's lifting people up. And uh, he's a flowing stream. The first time you meet him is in Acts 4. He sells this piece of property that he's got, and he brings all of it and lays it at the apostles' feet. And he's basically saying, hey, man, this thing about following Jesus and honoring Jesus, I'm all in. 
I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm a team player. You can count on me. I ain't holding nothing back. Man, I, I'm telling you, I'm in it. You go, man, it's pretty cool that you set kind of the pattern of what the whole group was supposed to be about, right? If we're going to do it, let's do it. The second time he appears is in Acts chapter 9. And, and it's, that's a powerful chapter. That's when Saul is antagonizing and persecuting and killing Christians. And Saul is on his way down the Damascus road and he gets blinded by this light. He encounters Christ and he gets rocked. And all of a sudden God changes his name from Saul, persecutor to Paul, proclamator. He goes from antagonizing to becoming the great apologist. Anyway, he gets radically rocked and saved. And, and, and Paul is wanting to hang out with the disciples in Jerusalem. And they're like, this ain't happening. We're afraid of that dude. That dude right there has been killing people. And, and so they avoid him. And guess who shows up to say, I got to go check this dude out, Barnabas. He goes up there and hangs out with him. He stands up for Paul. He goes, this guy's legitimately, man, been, been saved and rocked by the gospel. He met Jesus. And, and he tells the disciples, hey, this, this Paul dude was even preaching Jesus, and they were threatening to kill him, and he didn't back down. He, he's, he's legitimately saved, guys. He, he, he's an encourager. He, he, he's just showing up. In Acts 11, you want to you hear how powerful this guy's life is? In Acts 11, he is leading the movement, if you will, at the church of Antioch in diversity. He, he's over there with all these Gentiles and a bunch of Samaritans and others that have come to faith in Christ. And he's over there telling those Jewish converts, hey, the gospel is colorblind. It's for everybody. And he's over there breaking down these walls of racial tension and social tension. Barney, yeah, he is, baby. I ain't talking purple suit. I'm talking about redeemed heart. And I'm reading this going, man, you, you were standing in the gap. Everyone, he shows up. Wouldn't that be so cool for them to say that about? Oh, man, when you meet O'Chad or when you meet Michael or, or when you meet and you just go around, right, Harold? Every time you meet that dude or you meet Tim or you meet Steve or you meet... Every time you see them, they're adding value. They, they just encourage people and they comfort people. You go, man, I want to hang out with him. There was a famine that had happened in Jerusalem and uh, they were going to send money back over to the Jerusalem church. And, and the, the believers were like, man, we got to send somebody over there with this money to go help that church over there in this famine. Guess who they sent? Barnabas. He, he was spearheading Samaritan's purse before it was even founded. I was like, no way. The church in Antioch prayed, fasted, was worshiping. And man, we're about to send these guys out for the first ever missionary journey. Who's going to go? They're like, Paul, you got to go preach it. And Barnabas, you're going to go with him. And Paul gets all the ink right, man. Paul came in and began to preach. And before Festus Agrippa, before all this, guess who was with him? Barnabas. Man, I got, I got my encourager. I've got my support guy here with me. I'm like, powerful. There, there's a guy named John Mark that had come to faith. And uh, John Mark and Paul were doing some ministry together. And John Mark just kind of throws the towel in and says, I, I don't know. And he drifts for a period of time. And so Paul is over there with Barnabas and they're doing all this ministry. And John Mark resurfaces and he's like, I want to get back in the game. And Paul goes, not going to happen with me, dude. You quit. You quit. 
Guess who puts their arm around John Mark and says, let me hang with him. Let me see where he's at. Let's get that brother restored and get him back in the game. Barnabas. Are you a Barnabas? Come on. When people see you coming, do you bring encouragement and comfort? Or do you bring just selfishness and self-pity and self-exaltation and what are you about? Whose kingdom are you about? Do you want to be a Barnabas? Do you want to be that person when others see you coming going, man, so glad to see Brandy, Mr. Man, she's going to encourage somebody today. Every time she shows up, she's blessing somebody. I'm married, honestly. I'm married to a female Barnabas. I mean, people used to say that all the time. Oh, when I married her, I outpunted my coverage. I'm like, okay, I'm well over my skis in this relationship. I don't even know how to word how that hookup was for me. But my wife encourages and comforts. And I see her deal with people, whether they're going through storms of life or, or a great tragedy or whether they're Wanting to celebrate something. I mean, the doors of hospitality and encouragement are open. And, and many of you in here have been the recipients of that. And you go, yeah. One of the guys in my life, I'll never forget this. I felt like God was leading me into, into ministry. And, and so I stepped out in faith and I started like, like, how do I infiltrate locker rooms with the gospel? How do I get into these professional baseball and football locker rooms with the gospel. I'm, I didn't know how to do it. I, I, I'm like, there's no model for that. And, and how do I do these clinics? We're going out sharing the gospel, and we're taking some baseball players, and we're teaching fundamentals of the game, and then we're sharing our faith. And I, listen, listen to this. I'm doing this clinic outreach, evangelistic outreach in Kansas City, and, and they're like, hey, uh, there's a guy here that wants to meet you. And I'm like, okay. Hey, uh, this right here is Jack Cousins. And I'm like, Okay. Hey, Jack, how are you doing? I'm Tim Cash. Tim, what, what ministry are you with? I'm with Unlimited Potential. So what are you trying to do, buddy? What do you feel like God's called you to do? And well, he felt like he's called us to infiltrate baseball and uh, reach people with the gospel and to train these people and go out and share their faith. I said, what, what do you do? Well, I was with Young Life and I was with this, but I've been with Dr. Billy Graham for 40 years and I do pre-crusade evangelism. And I'm like, are you serious? He goes, man, I like your spirit. I want to hang out with you. And that, that, that guy put his arm around me. I mean, Jack Cousins, who was with Dr. Graham for all these years, he puts his arm around me, and he starts to believe in me. And I fly to Minneapolis, and he takes me to the Graham headquarters, and they've got all these books and literature that they would send around the world, right? You've heard it. Billy Graham would preach. And man, he would draw the net and people would come forward. And then this narrator at the end would say, if you would like more information about the Christian faith, all you've got to do is write Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's all you need. And they had all these wireless operators and people would talk and they would send them books on how to know Jesus and how to walk with Jesus. And Jack goes, anything you need to help reach these guys and teach these guys, you got it. And for years... He was my Barnabas. And, and my buddy John Burrow was playing with the Falcons, and I'd gotten to know John through some mentoring, discipling him, and he had signed with the Minnesota Vikings. And he goes up there, and he's playing with the Vikings, and I told Jack, Jack, I'm going to come see you. He goes, I'd like to see you, buddy. And uh, 
Uh, I want to set up a meeting. I said, set up a meeting with what? I'm just going to set up a meeting. Will you come? Will you come to the meeting with me? I'll come to whatever meeting you got. Jack walks in. Jack walks in. He's got oxygen in his nose. He's had like quad bypass. And the dude has got a walker. And some dude that drove him over there. And Jack is hanging on by a thread. And I'm like, man, he's deteriorated so much. And Jack comes in and he sits down. And we all hug him and high five him. And Jack, in that broken, gasping for air, just tone of his, he looked and he goes, let me tell you why I wanted to shut up this meeting. Some of you guys don't know each other, but you got a heart for the gospel. And God wants you to partner together to reach more people with the gospel. He he wants you to partner together to preach Jesus together. That was the last time I saw him. And, and, I'm, and, and I read this, and I'm like, Jack, bam, dude, you were a Barnabas. And there's been other Barnabas in, in my life. But when you look at Barnabas, they gave away their stuff, and they lifted up people. And I believe Jack's tombstone accurately would say he had a loose grip on stuff, and he had a tight grip on the gospel. He gave his life away, man, to advance the causes of Christ. I'm like, ah. Oh. No, 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 just stop. Like if you read scripture and ponder scripture and contemplate scripture, you get here and you go, oh, I love Acts 4. I love the tail end of Acts 4. But you know that chapters were not added to the Bible until about, 1250 AD and verses did not come about until 14, 1500. So when this thing was written, it was written in a continual thing. It was not these chapters and verses as we have today. So it was just written. So you read about Barnabas, you read about him selling it, Captain Encouragement, here he comes, and then you read this. Then you read this. We call it chapter 5, verse 1. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira. They sold a piece of property, kept back some of the price for themselves with his wife's full knowledge. And I, I circled this and highlighted this when I've read it and studied. And bringing a portion, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Bringing a portion. Bringing a portion. Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of that land, some of the money of the land for yourself. You know when the land was unsold, it was yours. You could do whatever you want to do with it. But when you sold the land and you said you were giving it all to be a part of what God was doing here, did, did you not did you not realize that what you've conceived in your heart is so stinking wicked? You claim you were going all in. You claim what's mine is now ours. It all belongs to the Lord. And, and he looks at him and goes, do you not realize you, you didn't lie to me and you haven't lied to men, but you've lied to the Holy Spirit? Do you not realize that, that it was yours, but you've got this greed issue, homie, and you've got this applause of people issue. You want people to applaud you and stroke you and you're going to talk it but you're not going to walk it. The problem is not the problem is not that you sold land. 
The problem is not that you said, uh, here's some, the problem is you lied by saying you were given it all and you only gave some. The problem is you lied. That's like, there you go. And I'm like, man, that's a problem. You want to talk about something that will destroy your relationship with others? It's when you lie. When you say you're going to do something, you don't do it. You lie. You kill morale. Dean and I were talking about that yesterday, and he was sharing a story. And I'm like, that's jacked up when a person says, I'm going to do this. If you do this, and you do this, and then they don't do that, you go, why'd you lie to me? You told me. Uh, yeah. I didn't mean it. And here's a fundamental problem that we have as people but specifically in the church. Just hear me for a second. A fundamental problem we have in Western culture, especially even in the South in church, is that we have such an unhealthy view of the holiness of God. We live in a culture that has reduced God down to manageable terms, and we don't have a proper view of the holiness of God. And when you don't have an accurate view of the holiness of God, you will try to make God what you want him to be. And you'll end up telling God what he should be. And so God at best becomes a cosmic Santa that you sit on his lap and you tell him what you want and tell him how to be God. And when he doesn't come through for you, you get all frustrated and ticked. We reduce this holiness of God. It's like you can do whatever you want to do. All you got to do is pray a prayer, man, and occasionally attend church, you're good. That is not even close to being a biblical narrative of the gospel. Now, 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 we're high-fiving Barnabas. Man, you're an encourager. You bring comfort. You're a, man, you're such a rock star. I mean, we talked about heroes last week. You're a hero. Now we're reading about this dude, Ananias. And he goes, why did you lie? Read the next words, verse 5. As Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Here's what it means. He lied and he died. He went boots up. He immediately was going to the worm buffet. The dude died on the spot. And some of us sitting here go, I struggle with a God that would be that harsh. No, you struggle with your view of his holiness and your view of your sinfulness. That needs to be repeated. People that struggle saying that's too harsh, that's rude. God, you're callous for doing something like that. You struggle with your view of his holiness and the view you have of yourself of your sinfulness. See, when Isaiah said, woe is me, I am a dirty, unclean man. My lips, everything about me is jacked up. Why would you say that, Isaiah? Because he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord exalted, lifted up, the train of his robe fell in the temple, seraphim, cherubim, angels flying around, and they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy is the Lord. Whoa! I am an assembled man. I don't deserve to be in your presence. I don't deserve to be in your presence. We 
must get an accurate view of the holiness of God. Scripture says he breathed his last. This is crazy. I I mean, if you read the Scripture, you go, that was rough. And it says, great fear came over all who heard it. I'm like, you bet your boots it did. (laughs) I mean, you know, if that happens with us today, it's like, what just happened? I don't know, dude, but y'all better not mess with God. Y'all better not be playing games with God. Y'all better get an accurate view. I better get an accurate view. And I was telling Dustin this. It made me laugh in reading this. This did make me laugh. The young men got up, covered him up, carried him out, and they buried him. I'm like, Dustin, young men, we need some interns because if that happens this morning, I'm not covering up, dragging out, and bury dust in my back. I, I don't want to dig no holes. We've got to get some interns over here quick, Dustin, just in case we go back to Acts 5. Now, stay with me. You read that and you go, man, I bet them dudes who are brand new believers, young guys, like Caleb, come here, son, Ethan, come here, son. And, and you, you get all these young boys, come here, Gavin, y'all, y'all, y'all come here. What's up? This dude just died, man. He lied to God. Y'all go bury him. He did what? All I'm saying is y'all better not be lying to God and playing games with the Holy Spirit. Go, go bury him. Now, here's the trip of the text to me. There's a lot of them in this one. Three hours later in verse 7, Sapphire came not, I circle that word too, Sapphire came in not knowing what had happened. She had no clue. Her husband was dead and already in the dirt. Peter said, now let me ask you a question. Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yeah, that's the price. Now, that had to be a very intense moment. She didn't know what had happened. But I have a feeling it went down this way. Her husband lied and told her, here's what we're going to say. My question is, what is she supposed to do? Her husband says, here's what we're going to do. Her husband put her in a place of failure. Is she supposed to be a submissive wife and do whatever? There's a show we turn on on Friday nights or whatever, and it's called, What Would You Do? What would you do? I can tell you submission does not mean follow your husband into sin. Submission does not mean follow your husband into sin. Your husband may make a mistake, but sin, don't follow him into sin. Being uh, being submissive never means that you follow him or anyone else into sin. I've seen it happen with guys in sports programs where somebody high up is like, man, hey, we're going to go out, we're going to drink, we're going to party, we're going to go. We're going to go check out some, some, some other women, and here they are married and all this stuff, and it's like, don't follow that person into sin. Don't, 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 don't do that. Well, I, I've, I've got a, I've got a, 
honor our society and everything our society says, man, I'm, I've got to submit to it. Our society right now is killing about 2,500 unborns a day. I'm not following that. We are never called to submit to sin. And I, I will tell you this, submitting to the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as submitting to your husband. Now, your husband might lead you into a mistake. I've done that. I'll never forget the old boy when I was doing all the chapel ministry with the Falcons back in the day, and uh, he, he came to one of our studies. And this was the time that, remember the phone pager things that came out, and they'd give you a phone number, and all of a sudden you had that thing on you, and it was like a thing you would get at the Shrine Circus that when you would squeeze, you know, you'd wind it up, and it's like, and that thing would, it would buzz you. So my buddy, my buddy, man, he was like, let me tell you what, I, well, let me tell you what I've done. I'm like, okay. He goes, man, I have bought like 500 payphones in the state of Georgia. I'm like, get out of town. No, man, people are getting these pagers. They're going to buzz them. They'll go throw a quarter in there. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, man, it's going it's to hit. Three months later, they started coming out with cell phones. <laughs> right? If you came to me right now and said, all right, man, I'm praying through something, and I would be like, all right, what are you praying through? Should I invest in Blockbuster or Netflix? <laughs> I mean, and we've made mistakes over the years by doing some crazy stuff. But when we're talking here about honoring God, oh, we never follow anyone into sin. I've been listening to uh, the podcast, In the Red Clay. Anybody listen to that one? It's a trip, is it not? The old Billy Burt Sunday and the Dixie Mafia and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and I'm listening to just the ramifications and the consequences of sin. The generational stuff that happens when a dude decides to rebel against God. It is sickening, some of the stuff that I'm listening to here. The truth is, the truth is, and I want you to hear me, ladies. The truth is, one day you're going to stand before God and give an account. She's about to go boots up because she lied. She's about to be tapped out herself. It is hard when you've got a husband that does not honor God and is not a believer. It is hard for some of you single moms that are in this fellowship right now to get up and to stay with the grind and to keep pressing into the Lord and to seek to raise your child in the ways of the Lord or children in the way of the Lord. For, for some of you single moms, it is hard hard, but you keep doing it. You're going to stand before the Lord one day, and your level of honoring God, whether it's living generous or, brazen, or, or, or getting your kids involved in community and fellowship, is crucial. Now, that, there, there's married women in here that their husbands don't want anything to do with church and the gospel. And it is hard because you come and you sit here and you pray for your husband and you want them to get it, but they're still rebelling and not, and it's hard. And, and, and I don't understand that. Personally, I don't, I don't understand that. I've had a supportive wife. We've been together. But I see some of these, these single moms or some of these women that are married and their, their husbands are checked out and dust and our heart goes out there. And w that's the reason like with KOZ, Kids Outdoor Zone, and so many other things that we do, we try to create those on-ramp places where your, 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 your child can flourish. But it's hard. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Ladies, you're going to give an account. But, but guys, let me say this to you. Your sin never affects just you. 
Your sin never affects you. God has called us to lead our families, not mislead our families. We're going to give an account. We're going to give an account. And I was blessed. I mean, you want to talk about hitting the genetic lottery? I hit it because of Earl Cash. Earl was there. He supported us. He believed in me. That man was in my life every day. He didn't check out. He loved my mama. I, as broke as a joke as we were financially, I hit the genetic lottery because I had a guy that affirmed me, believed in me, and cared about me. And I've told my boys, like, hey, told my mom the other day, I said, my boys are crazy. You know, they're boys, right? They're not boys anymore. They're young men. I said, but I'll tell you one thing. Benji and Jesse, they love God, and they love their wives, and they love their kids. I said, they're good daddies. That's what I said. 27-year-old, 22-year-old. I'm like, those dudes right there are good daddies. And then I started laughing, thinking, wow, how would you like to grow up telling people your daddy is Jesse Cash? I started laughing. That dude is so funny. He makes me laugh. But I thought, he is a good daddy. Benji is a good daddy, and your sin never just uh, impacts you. It spreads. When you look at Ananias and Sapphira, their issues reveal a deeper, darker problem that was connected to the heart when you look at it. When you look at sins like lying and jealousy and greed and envy, they're attached to something deeper and darker. Why do people lie? Why do people move toward greed? Why do people live with envy and jealousy and all that? Those are nothing more. Those sins are nothing more than smoke that's coming from a fire. And the fires that create that kind of smoke is ego, is arrogance, is conceit, is pride, is insecurity, is inadequacies, it's inferiority complexes inside. And we try to mask those things by giving this persona that we're tough and we're rough and we're good. And I can promise you, it's just smoke. And they create, they create like the appearance, something's not right, but you've got to get to the fire. What is the fire, what is the wildfire creating this over here? Do you, do, do you follow me? You've got to get to the heart of it. Tim, when he was lost, he used money, he used people, he used stuff to try to get his needs met apart from Christ, and he was still miserable and empty. When I met the Lord and surrendered to the Lord and repented and was filled with the Holy Spirit, I no longer needed to leverage people and stuff and all that to try to get my needs met. I felt like God said, you are the, you're the beloved of the Lord, brother. John Mark, you're the beloved of the Lord. You don't have to do that anymore. I quit needing to do that. What we need, every one of us, when you study this, is we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're either filled with the Holy Spirit that's leading us to love and joy and peace and contentment, or we're flooded with the voices of hell and Satan, and we're allowing the flesh to drive us, and that leads us to discontent, and we're joyless, and we're hopeless, and we're mad, and we're rude. I go, what are you filled with? And if you're a student of the Scripture, you've got to ask the question, why do you think God struck them dead? Why do you think God did that? And I will tell you a couple of reasons to consider. 
Write this down, Cindy. One, Ananias and Sapphira had been really close to the activity of God. They had seen it. They had seen the Holy Spirit work. They had been around the things of God. Even Ananias' name means God is merciful. He had seen the mercy of God many times. He had witnessed it, and he treated the goodness of God and the grace of God and the things of God with contempt. And the closer we are, to the things of God, the more accountable we are. You know better. Like I do know better. Spiritually speaking, I know better. You know better. They also witnessed the cross. They saw Jesus walk the Via Dolorosa. They, many believe, were a, a part of that community of 120 that, that shortly after Jesus, you know, has been crucified or whatever, the 120 are together. Many believe these right here, Ananias and Sapphira, had been a part of the, the workings of God. And I will tell you this, when you're close to the activity of God, the seriousness of your sin will increase greatly. And when you've seen and you've tasted and you've been around, it's like you will be held accountable. We've got to get back to elevating a high standard of God Dustin, here's the crazy thing is we've done ministry, Steve, uh, Nick, all of us. The crazy thing is if you would have looked at Ananias and Sapphira and Barnabas, they pretty much looked all the same on the outside. They all went to church. They all appeared to be generous. The crazy thing is when we deal with people, you really don't know until you start spending time what their why is. You can hang out and you go, man. These people, man, they're, they're, they're legit. And it's like, are you? Because sometimes it's hard to discern the legit from the counterfeit until you spend a little time with them. And there's a lot of people that can pose and a lot of people know how to talk. And we live in a, a, a culture that's been influenced by the Greek, you know, great orators of how you package statements. And it's like, it's hard, whether it's a person in ministry, whether it's a person that is just a lay person, a person that comes in, the Holy Spirit knows my thoughts. The Holy Spirit knows your thoughts. The Holy Spirit knows my why and your why. And what Ananias and Sapphira forgot was the only opinion that mattered was not that of the people, was not that of the apostles, it was that of God, and they forgot about it. And the only opinion that matters with you today is how God views you and how God sees you. There's a lot of church people that are deceived because they, again, have bought into how do I present myself with appearance and the integrity of the heart is missing. We need to raise our awareness and understanding of the holiness of God. Let me give you a working definition of biblical fear, and I'm going to wrap it up. Biblical fear is holy awe mixed with reverence, mixed with intimacy. It's holy awe. Back to Isaiah 6. When we sing the old classic, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, we will sing lyrics like, it was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. We sing that song. We sing it, we sing it, we sing it. You go, that's a weird lyric. How is it that grace taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved because grace will teach you to have proper holy reverence toward God. But as you walk in that grace, you will no longer 
live with the fear of what other people think or what other people can do to you. Because what happens now, your perspective is aligned with God. And you, you start singing that song, and it's like, oh, how precious did this grace appear when I first believed. God graced me. He's shown me his goodness. And uh, I would encourage you to walk in that today. Are you lying to the Holy Spirit? That's a question I had to ask when I read this. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. What was the two areas they lied? It was money and people. It was materialism and applause. And I think those are two driving forces in our society today. So here would be the question, like unpackaging in it. How strong is your resolve and commitment to Christ? Are you willing to obey the Lord with your money? It's like that's only you can answer that. Are you really willing to obey the Lord with your money? And like he, we're told in Scripture to tithe plus. I mean, tithing is a good place to start, but if we're living a graceful, grace-centered life, whatever the law required, grace inspires much more. We go, yes. Are you willing to share Jesus with your world? I mean, we're talking about our commitment to Christ. Am I willing to give and am I willing to share? These are two of the values that we have here at the cross. And a lot of people won't share their faith with others because they're scared what others think about them. You got you to loosen that grip. Here, here's the question I wrote Do you use people to acquire money and power? Or do you use money and power to serve people? That's a big one right there. Do you use people so that you can acquire money and power and popularity? I've seen guys do that. They're trash talkers. And all they care about is promoting their own hedonistic, pleasure-seeking life. Or do you use what money and power maybe God has extended to you to serve other people? See, greatest in the kingdom is the one who serves. It never says greatest in the kingdom is the one who acquires the most toys. The problem in the South is, and I think a lot of people land here, is that as soon as they surrender to Christ and I got saved, now they feel like they have a license to sin. That's jacked up. Ananias and Savara, they, they attended church and were around the gospel. And, and they were lying to the Holy Spirit. It's possible for any of us to get there. Here's the good news, and I close you with this. The good news, the gospel of Jesus declares this about you. You fill in your name right there. Alex, it declares this about you. Kim, it declares this about you. John, it declares it about you. And Spencer, about you. And Joe, about you. And Dean, about you. Here's what it declares. I am known and I am fully loved. The gospel of Jesus looks at you and says, Sandra, do you not realize that I totally know you? Past, warts, hiccups, hang-ups, and oh, I love you. The truest thing about you is that you are the beloved of the Lord. Apart from Christ, you're more wicked and sick and sinful than you can imagine. But because of the gospel, I am more loved and accepted and valued than I can dream of. When I was living like hell, and you know even Paul would say, hey, y'all know I was the chief of sinners. 
but the gospel has ambushed my heart and radically changed me. So if you're going to get your heart aligned with God, you've got to totally repent and surrender. And I pray, I, I pray that every person in this room, after surrender, after yielding, after giving it all up, I pray that from this day forward, 515, this day forward, that you would be known as an encourager and a comforter, that you would add value and people go, you remind me of that dude Barnabas in Scripture. And I pray that nobody in this room ever has anybody say to them, you remind me of Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> that would be jacked up, wouldn't it? It's like, I've done that before in the past. Like people would get around and go, what Hmm, biblical character do you most uh, identify? <laughs> that would be a bad one right there, Steve. Oh, that one right there reminds me. No, Barnabas. Let's be generous. Let's love, let's care, let's share. Let's honor God.